Hear now a reading from the book of Genesis. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We say, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Not just to recognize and remember that these are our sacred stories, 
but to remind us all that we are the body of Christ, the living word of God. And that when these writings are read in our midst, the spirit moves within us and transforms our heart and our lives that we may bring the good news, the word of life and hope and love to all people. Let us pray. Living God, you are the truth that we are grounded in, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. May you, Holy Spirit, illuminate the words of the scripture that they may be made alive in us. And so move in the preaching of the gospel that we may be stirred by you, Christ, the true word, to proclaim your message of grace and love, a message that is so needed today, with our lips and in our hearts and with our lives. Amen. This summer, we've been reading about the ancestors of our faith, those matriarchs and patriarchs, a collection of stories of the origins of our family. And wow, what a family. We have seen stories of deception and conflict, of even violence. We've seen people trying to answer the promises of God on their own rather than relying on the God who made the promise. And the family still hasn't learned their lesson, as we see in the text today. The novella portion of Genesis is a story of Joseph, and today we look at the first chapter, a chapter that highlights hatred and violence. The novella as a whole is trying to move us forward in the story of Israel, to get us to the point where the Israelites are captive in Egypt, but also to shift our focus from the person of Israel to the people of Israel. But did you notice, while Katie was reading our chapter for today, that she never mentioned God? Those of us who know the following chapter, and Andrea alluded to it in her children's moment, Know that God is at work behind the scenes, but in what we have before us today, there's a scarcity of God, a shortage of God's promises that have marked most all of the other passages we've looked at this summer. And this highlights the theme of scarcity within this text today, the scarcity that is assumed by the brothers, the sons of Israel. And remember from last week, It was Jacob who wrestled with the man and grabbed a hold and demanded a blessing, and his name was changed to Israel, he who strives with God and man. These are the sons who would become the great nation of Israel, and we enter the text with the reminder, this is the story of the family of Jacob. This is our story. And then we're directly confronted with themes of his sons striving for favor and recognition, things that they have experienced as being scarce. We meet Joseph, shepherding the flocks with his brothers, a helper to the son of Bilhah and Zilpah, the handmaids of Jacob's wives, Leah and Rachel. Now these are the lowliest brothers in this hierarchy of favor that we are starting to get a picture of. Is this the first sign of perceived scarcity? 
Did Joseph wonder if his work assignment, being the lowliest brother's helpers, was a foretelling of his inheritance? I mean, he is the second youngest son. Or maybe his experience showed that there was only a limited amount of favor and recognition that their father had to give. Was it out of this scarcity that he brings the unflattering story back to his father? Is he trying to secure a bit more of that limited, scarce amount of favor? And it works. Because in the following voice, we read that Joseph is the one that Israel loves the most, more than any of the other children. For Joseph is the child of beloved Rachel, who Israel worked so hard to get to marry, if you remember a few weeks ago. Rachel, who was barren for so long as Leah strove to have her husband love her. And now, Joseph is being shown favoritism by Israel. Israel, who saw firsthand what favoritism by a parent can cause the violence and hatred between him and his brother Esau. How quickly we forget the stories of our past. When the brothers saw Israel's public proclamation of his favoritism for Joseph in the robe, They hated him. They experienced the scarcity of love, that there was only enough for Joseph, and there was no peace, no harmony, no shalom between the brothers and Joseph. What is left out of the lectionary passage today is the dreams of Joseph, dreams that were hastily told to his brothers and his father without seeking interpretation. It's the brothers, and then Israel, who assume Joseph is sharing because he believes he will rule over them. They think that Joseph believes he will come out to be the holder of this scarce favor. But the role of the dreams in this snapshot today is just to increase the animosity between the brothers, between the family. His brothers hate him even more and his father rebukes them, him. Then Israel calls Joseph and sends him to see if, his, if all is well, if there is shalom with his brothers. Is Israel hoping that maybe there will be a reconciliation between the brothers, like he eventually had experienced with Esau? Or has his own love of Joseph been lessened by the dreams? Does he know of the danger of sending Joseph alone into this land that has animosity against this family? We learned earlier in chapter 34 that the brothers had avenged the rape of their sister Dinah by slaughtering the men of this town. Does Israel think of that as he sends his son on this journey? to find out if there is shalom with his brothers, who we heard before have no shalom with Joseph. How must he feel when Joseph so quickly answered, Here I am. When Joseph came to Shechem, 
A man wandering in the fields asked him, what are you seeking? Seeking here is to search out by any means, specifically by worship and prayer. What are you seeking? This is a chance for Joseph to process this journey, not just the literal journey of fulfilling his father's request to check on his brothers, but a chance to consider his journey that has led him to seek his father's favoritism over relationship with his brothers. And maybe it's a question we need to ask too. Are we seeking something that we believe is scarce or available only for a few? Or do we miss this chance at a question, as Joseph does, focused on the immediate task at hand, rather than letting the man who's wandering the fields, really the only godlike character in this snapshot of the story, who challenges us to think more deeply about what is going on within our own hearts. As Joseph travels to Dothan, I wonder if he starts to ponder this question deeper. Or is it when he's approaching his brothers, maybe even starting to see or even overhear their plotting to kill him, that he asks himself, what am I really seeking? I wonder if the promise of God to Israel to make out of his sons a great nation is echoing in his mind. This is a promise that all the brothers will share in. But for now, they believe that there is not enough of this promise to go around. It's Reuben who speaks out against killing his brother, at least with their own hands. Reuben seems to show compassion on Joseph, but is it really compassion if he's planning to circle back around and rescue Joseph and take him to the father? And what will become of the brothers when Joseph tells of who put him in that pit in the first place? So the brothers throw Joseph into the pit, still effectively killing him, just not with their hands, but by lack of water. And the brothers sit down to eat, quickly moving past an act of violence to go on with the comfortable norm, choosing to look away from unpleasantness and just go back to the everyday tasks. It's then that Judah, motivated by the scarcity of money, seeks profit from the situation and in a sense redeems Joseph, but by selling him into slavery. This is a story of scarcity. There's not enough to go around, and competition ensues. Violence is repeated once again in this next generation. Hatred against one's own brother that has continued since Cain and Abel. When things that lead to survival during this time period and in our own, success, resources, acceptance, favor, when those things are perceived to be scarce, we start making divisions among us. Who can we categorize as other 
so that they don't have to share in the pot. We can even come to hate our own siblings when we believe that there is not enough and we have to just look out for our own. How poignant that verses 19 through 20 were used as the opening sentence at the memorial service for Martin Luther King Jr. Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And today, this lectionary passage offers us and forces us to see hatred and violence between siblings at the same time that we are faced with the aftermath of violence in Charlottesville yesterday. There's a message of scarcity that prevails today. People are taught that there is not enough. There's not enough acceptance or recognition or success or resources or power. Scarcity is what drives people to hate, to cling to those that are familiar to them, to those that look and act the same as them, and then say, these scarce resources are ours, and there is no place for the other to share in them. This message of scarcity, scarcity of time, scarcity of emotions, scarcity of empathy, allows us to ignore others' experiences, to silence those who have stories to tell because they might make us un uncomfortable, or we believe we do not have the capacity to carry the weight of what they share. We see the message of scarcity when people tell others what they must do when they experience discrimination or hate. They try and exert control over them saying, if you just act a certain way, this wouldn't happen. But the way they're asking us, asking people to act is their normal, defined by them and how they have learned to survive in this world. Violence touches those who even follow the the stipulations that we put on others, who carry on in their existence without inciting it. Violence comes to the campuses of our schools. The students of the University of Virginia did not incite the violence that marched across their campus this weekend. The message of scarcity breeds violence that touches this place just 120 miles from us a place where one of our college freshmen will be moving into in the next couple of weeks. The message of scarcity shows up in Maryland, where messages of hate are scrawled upon across churches and mosques, where an individual is singled out by the color of their skin and stabbed. The message of scarcity convinces a 20-year-old to plow his car into his fellow human. 
And the message of scarcity is at work at the streets that are, in the streets that are around this building. In the experiences of those who are discriminated against, those who are faced with lower income or lesser housing and education opportunities because of their gender, orientation, their race, their culture of origin, or their religion. The time to figure out who you are and how you will respond to hate is now. It's now. And like Andrea said, we have to talk about big feelings. If we can't talk about the reality of our existence and our experiences, can we really ever address the issue? I have to speak from what I know, from my experience. I have to speak from my position as being white, my experience of being a woman. You have to speak from your own experience, from your cultural background, from your race, from your sex, from a place of poverty that you have been in or maybe currently are, from your job situation, from your familial situation, the things that you have been through is where we must be able to share and speak from if we will ever overcome hatred and violence. When we have a mindset of scarcity, we seek to feel safer by controlling others, by not wanting to hear their story. And with that, we're negating the actions of their full humanity, that each of us are image bearers of God. And when we passively partake in the message of scarcity, we are like the brothers who are sitting down to eat after sealing Joseph's fate with death. Christianity isn't comfortable. It's messy, and it leads to a cross. And we have a problem. The message of scarcity is where we so often begin conversations. But we, the body of Christ, we are a people of abundance. I remind you this morning that for God so loved the world that out of God's abundance, Christ was sent to be with us, to live among us, to show us a better way not of a limited hierarchical kingdom, but instead of a kingdom, an ever-expanding family of God. And he offers us an invitation into that to be reconciled with our brothers and sisters. Out of the abundance of love, Christ became with us in this life, even into death at our own hands. And out of abundance of love, Christ was raised and offered us reconciliation and grace. We all are part of a movement of salvation and reconciliation because of the abundance of love that was shown on Calvary's cross 
and in the peace that was offered from the nail-scarred hands. We are called to be part of a movement that replaces a message of scarcity with a message of abundant love, and that can transform the world. The Romans passage that Faye read for us declares righteousness, that being reconciled to God and our neighbor, that righteousness comes from faith that says, the word is near you on your lips and in your heart. Reconciliation is about having the living word in you, letting the abundance of love that is found in Christ transform your understanding allowing the message of scarcity to be replaced by the message of abundant life and love and hope found in Christ. Righteousness comes with proclaiming the gospel, confessing the truth. That is knowing in your heart this abundance of love, the love from the Lord who is generous to all, for there is no difference in the saving grace for Jew or Greek, even for oppressed and oppressor, even for violent bigot and victim. There is no allotment of love for one and not the other. There is an abundance of salvation in Christ Jesus. And we, all of us, we are sent out from that abundance to proclaim the good news, to share of our experience of forgiveness and abundant grace and reconciliation, and to seek God's kingdom, the ever-expanding family here on earth, so that we can proclaim that Christ's justice has room for all people. Amen.